This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1512, Spotlight on Daredevil in the Bronze Age. I'm Brian Christman. I'm Shane Kelly. I'm Adam Murdo. I'm Chris Eberly. And I'm Kevin Moyer. And welcome to the show. It's been a while since we did the first, I should I say we wasn't on the episode, since we did the first Daredevil Spotlight. Back in April, yep. Yes, uh, back in April, episode 1472, did the Spotlight on Daredevil of Silver. It's now over six months later and we're just picking up. Oh, well, good things come to those who wait. That's yes. right. That's right. So, once again, this is going to be a continuing series of spotlights Absolutely. on Daredevil. Because this is Daredevil's 50th anniversary of its first publication in 1964. We'll probably bleed into next year, but we'll get him done. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got two whole months of the anniversary to go here. We've you know, never done no, that you know, We're not on a schedule necessarily. You know, we do whatever we want to. We're freewheeling here and fancy. <laughs> put, Footloose and fancy Footloose free. and fancy yeah. free. Footloose Easy for you to say. So, yeah, so we're going to cover the Bronze Age in this uh, episode, which I think, Mr. Eberle, you have from... Issues 81 to 157, so that's about 1972 to 1979. We're going to stop right before Frank Miller comes on the book, because even though Miller does start in 79, as well as his first Daredevil rendering in Spectacular Spider-Man, that's such a dramatic change in the book, I just thought it was a good place to stop, because when you think of Miller and Daredevil, you think automatically of the 1980s, basically. Right, so, right. So we're going to cut it off. Excellent. All right. First, this episode is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. <laughs> Go to InStockTrades for your trade paperback and hardback ordering needs. Look on their website. Their main page always has specials on. Right now, there's save up to 60% on select Marvel titles. There's a thank you sale number five for everybody putting up with them as they moved. So there's always <laughs> some good stuff in the thank you sales. DC has save up to 60% on select titles as well. There's American Vampire Trades still on sale, volumes one through five at 45% off. Um, Their top 10, I always like looking at their top 10 list. Number 10 of the best sellers right now is Ms. Marvel Trade Paperback, volume one. Uh, Number nine is Wonder Woman, volume five. All New X-Men hardcover number one is number eight. I kind of wonder if that's not the expanded one, bigger bigger version that they came out with. Alias Omnibus back in print is number seven. Manhattan Projects number one is number six. Volume one is number six. Ah, I can't wait to see this. The Block Sod Armadillo hardcover. Uh, I'm sorry, Amarillo. Jeez, can't read. Uh, Amarillo hardcover is number five. You can find both of them in Texas. <laughs> yes. And it'll be on sale at Wild Pig Comics for our sale, which already happened when this was recorded. That's correct. <laughs> You're messing with the time stream again, sir. Here we go. Moon Knight Epic Collection trade paperback. Bad Moon Rising is number four. Number three is Southern Bastards trade paperback, volume one. Moon Knight Trade Paperback Volume 1 is number 2, and the Batman Hardcover Volume 5, Zero Year Dark City, is number 1. That surprises me. 
Look at that. Moon, so Knight, told, Moon Knight holding two of the top yeah, two four of the top titles. ten. That's awesome. Excellent. So go to InStockTrades.com for pre-ordering trades and hardbacks. Great company, and I get stuff from them whenever they have good sales. Because if it's on their site. It's in stock. It's in stock. <laughs> All right. Well, I was not uh, on the first episode. I of don't think I was either. The no, neither one of you were here. However, I, I did listen, listen to it. Actually, listened to it at the airport in Seattle when I was out there for mm. Emerald City. Or did I? No, I couldn't have because it happened. That happened after. I, I was at a, now you're playing with the time stream. But I was I was in airports. Oh, I was in Minnesota when I listened to it. That's where I was. At, I was in the airport. Listened to it anyway. Very good as usual. Um, so this is going to be just our our thoughts. Chris has given an amazing outline ready to go through for these issues. Um, since I was out on the first episode, I'll sort of give you my Daredevil-ish background, if you will. Please, please. Uh, I can remember when I was a lad, I had... A lad. <laughs> I had the Son of Origins. Absolutely. As well as the um, regular, the Marvel, um, or the uh, Origins of Marvel Universe, Marvel Comics. But I had the Son of Origins Marvel Comics, which actually featured Daredevil. So I know at some point during that era, I read the first issue which is in this book, as well as issue 47, Brother Take My Hand. Oh. So that was my first exposure to the character. Um, in the 70s, you know, I was getting comics, again, I was, I was a lad, off the newsstand willy-nilly. I might have had an issue or two here or there, nothing consecutive at all. When I got back into comics in the late 80s, early 90s, I was focused on DC, didn't really get into Daredevil. Or Marvel at all, but when Kevin Smith came on the book and was announced, that's when I started reading it. I stayed with the book through that entire run of Kevin Smith, through um, Bendis, oh, through the whole tremendous. run. Even read Shadowland for this very own podcast, and that's what killed it for me at that point. After, 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 <laughs> Shadowland after, was subpar to say the it least. It did. <laughs> so when they relaunched with Mark Wade, I didn't even want to read it. But I hope I, you did, Pants. Well, let me finish, all right, sir. All right, all right. <laughs> But when I heard so many rays for it, I got the first issue, and I got several of the other issues after that at one of your Wild Pig sales. Honored. So I'm back on Daredevil, read that whole Mark Wade, I'm caught up. And actually have gone back and bought quite a lot of the back issues. Yeah, you've been snapping those up like they're going out of style. Yes, yes. So I have of the, let's see, there's 380 issues of the first run, plus annuals, maybe a dozen, 13 annuals, maybe a little more than that, annuals. Yeah, around there or something. So I've got... I don't think there's that many. But. I've got 306 cop issues of Daredevil, including the annuals. And of this era we're talking, I'm only missing 20 issues. Wow. So, but now, of course, the problem is I haven't read them all. God. Oh, so, but I, I, wanted, I wanted to be on this episode because I love these spotlights. I'm really enjoying Daredevil. I want to just read these things, and this will sort of – because when we do these, when I've already read them, I want to go back and read these again, like these other spots we've done. I just I just love – because there's so much history in these books. I just love this stuff. So I'm now, looking forward to the discussion here. Now, now my start with Daredevil oh, – Oh, I'm sorry, but I did go back and read all of Miller Daredevil through all the visionary trades. Look forward to having so on the I, 80s I've, one I've, then. I've read those already. Excellent. I don't think I read more than an issue here or there when it crossed over or looked neat – that I would pull off the shelf until Kevin Smith came on Daredevil. That's when I started reading mm-hmm. it. And then I stuck with that until um, uh, Bendis and, and who did the art? Malev. 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 Till they came on it, which I know most of you all love. Oh, it's amazing. I dropped it then. Ooh. I couldn't stand the artwork. Huh. And, um, but I did get you that But arm. you did, which I still have on the shelf I haven't read. Um, <laughs> and then I, like, I've never read um, uh, Miller's run at all. Oh. So I have some of that stuff to read. Oh, that Shane. We wow. Were talking have you, have you not read Born Again? Nope, never. Oh. 
I haven't read Born Again either. I think I only read the visionary stories. I don't think Born Again was in there. No, Born Again was not in the visionaries. But but then after hearing Pants talk about when Wade came onto the book, I started getting the hardbacks of that. And I read the first two or three, and, and they are fantastic. So I have the rest of those to read, and I keep keep up with the trades and hardbacks of those as they come out. But that's really, really Kevin Smith's where I started reading yeah. Daredevil. It, that's it's interesting to hear uh, that both of you started at that time. Yeah. Actually, a lot of people I've talked to over the years have a similar story where because of, of Kevin Smith, that kind of got them into Daredevil. Well, and, and at that time, he, was Green Arrow after that or it before? Was after after that, that. Exactly. It was after that. Yeah, it was, it was really just Kevin Smith writing a book. I'm like, oh, well, that might be interesting. I wonder what he's going to do with it is, is really all it was. Mm-hmm. And it almost didn't happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to the discussion, looking forward to Chris's copious notes. Looking forward to Kevin, who's oh, actually thrilled. Kevin's here. Thank you, sir. Back again for Daredevil. Thanks for having me. And Murd and his notes so small, only he can read them. Look at that. He's, oh, it's amazing, ladies and gentlemen. He's got a pen and a yellow inscription and a yellow legal pad. Oh, this is this is the best thing since indoor plumbing. How many? <laughs> it's the Palmer process. How many? The what process? The Palmer process. Palmer. Ray Palmer. I had to use white dwarf matter to. Uh, <laughs> Trim my hand down Into to the yeah. How many? How many lines? I need to of see that ri- again, Merg. Show me that again here. That. How many lines of writing do you get on a line of there line? There we go. Is it like you got two lines? Mm. Uh, Impressive. That's amazing. Two lines of writing between each uh, thin blue line on the legal. And pad. that's college ruled, folks. Dear <laughs> yes. Lord. All right. Wow. I'm sorry. Did I? Was there anything else before we get started? No. 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 no I'm going to sit back and we're enjoy. Just, everybody we're just warming else up. Well, I mean, I'm going to jump in when I can with with my usual. Idiotic question. Well, Pants, but... you've probably read some of these issues if you've been reading Daredevil lately. Well, you would know. I, no, I wouldn't. I don't. This, I haven't read. I don't think much from this era. I, I like I said, I, I started that I know with the Daredevil Visionary books with Miller. I might have read a sporadic issue. Or but two you have here. a lot of these, obviously. Yeah. I have yeah. all but twenty. The ones we're going to talk about in this episode. Right. You've yeah. bought several of them twice. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that too. But again, like. I, I I can't in my mind. It's like I can't read them to have them all collected. It's like mm. I understand that mindset. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> so, Mr. Eberly, if you would, Professor Eberly, if you would start us out, please. Honored, I'm glad my co-professor uh, <laughs> Kevin is here because I, you know I was listening to our Silver Age episode, the way here to refresh. Okay, Kevin's knowledge is outstanding, and uh, I'm again I'm really glad you're here, sir. Well, thank you. I'm glad it worked out. Yes. Constant Daredevil fan. I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, so again, we're doing the Bronze Age, uh, issues 81 to uh, 157, so right on the cusp of Frank Miller's sort of earth-shaking uh, debut in the Daredevil title. Uh, this era I was in many ways looking forward to the most because I think it's so overshadowed by what came before it and then the Miller run after it. And it's – as I was refreshing my memory in a lot of these issues and you know leafing through some of them and reading about them, this era, uh, Kevin, I, I think you'll agree, is so quirky. Oh, yeah. Without and all over the map. Yeah. Because you have a whole series of different writers in this period. You've got Jerry Conway. Yeah, I've forgotten. Because yeah. Jerry Conway didn't do – I'm sorry again for jumping in. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Obviously known better for Spider-Man, yes. but started out early – even with Thor, I think, early on in his career he, at Marvel. He and was – well, he he went over – came over from DC when he did some horror work when he was a teenager. Right. And then he came over to Marvel, and he was doing uh, – well, he's doing a lot of titles simultaneously. Right, right. So his, their work on Daredevil and Spider-Man are probably are very close together, if not almost simultaneous. Mm-hmm. So you have Conway. Uh, you've got uh, Marv Wolfman. Actually, you've got Conway, Steve Gerber, Marv Wolfman, Jim Shooter, Roger McKenzie. These are the writers we're going to be touching upon. Uh, and that, that's, that's quite, a, quite a lineup there, uh, especially uh, the first three, who I think are all uh, great comic book writers who have all done a lot of important work. 
Uh, so, and then you have a whole different host of artists. I mean, Gene Colan, we talked about in the last episode, he was doing Daredevil, I don't know, from the early double digits probably, yes. I would imagine, yes. all the way to issue 100 and then some sporadic issues after that, which we're going to talk about. And then after that, kind of in keeping with the sort of the, the quirky era, you have a lot of different artists involved in this. Rich Buckler does some work. Uh, Bob Brown. Bob Brown, the late Bob Brown, does about a 30-issue run before he actually dies of leukemia. Uh, in 1977, mm-hmm. uh, Colin jumps back in there yeah, at different times. Yep. Uh, there's even one with Sam Queskin. He does an issue. Uh, it, it, there's, yeah, there's some Gil Kane. Gil and... Kane comes in. Mm-hmm. Kane was doing covers throughout. The, he was like Roy Thomas's go-to cover guy. Exactly. But he does come in and does some inter- internal art in Daredevil in the 70s. And Jansen as well. actually, Klaus Jansen actually inked him. That's right. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the cool issues yeah. I re- that stand out for me in this run. There's a, there's a bullseye appearance in that yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so this is an era that. I think it's overshadowed, but I also think it's important. I think there's a lot of good stories in this era, and I think one of the most significant aspects of it is, A, the Black Widow, mm-hmm. because we now – go ahead, Pants. I don't want to interrupt you. No, I'm not pleased for But please. you did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I gestured, and he stopped is what happened. But yeah, That's because uh, of my awe of you. <laughs> because now, again, from my limited understanding, she actually joins the title and is in the masthead of the she title. Is, yeah, they literally put her in yep. the title. She is on the title, uh, Daredevil and the Black Widow. It's uh, actually I can tell you right here. Issue ninety two. Issue like. ninety two through issue one hundred eight. Right. Yeah. Is it's Daredevil the Black One? Even after that, they remove her name, but they still have her in the like the, the little corner symbol on the right side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for several sporadic issues, so Matt and she, of course, become a romantic couple. Matt goes to San Francisco with her, where he tries to practice law there and and to adventure as Daredevil. So – and that's tied into the Daredevil right now because yes. he's returned to San Francisco because yep. he had some, some roots there essentially. Mm-hmm. So the book takes a total uh, shift in tone, uh, in, in, its, in its setting, and also there's – because there's so many different writers involved, each writer, of course, has their own take on the character. I mean, like Gerber gets – because it's Gerber. You've got like uh, fantastic fantastical villains showing up. You've got cosmic stuff like mm-hmm. Moon Dragon makes her first appearance, which yes. her murder will talk about. Mm, well, not uh, her first appearance. I thought it was her. No, it wasn't her first. I no, apologize. No, she was a Starlin creation. She was a That's part of right. that whole Iron Man story that also okay. gave us mentor. That's right. But she Thank was you. still the. Um, she was she was still a villain in, in this run. Yeah, she was playing the role of the villain. Yeah, Madame McEvil. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Moon Dragon will appear. We're gonna have. Uh, you know, Mr. Klein, that whole storyline from the Silver Age that continues into the Bronze. Yep. Uh, the, the Karen Page kind of peters out right. as a supporting character. In fact, there's, there's, she comes back one last time, and there's a, there's a very, very, very brief marriage engagement, and then she goes back to her ill-fated acting career. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of she kind of fades out of the book on this time period. Heather Glenn comes in. Who's Heather Glenn? Heather Glenn is Matt's love interest from the late seventies and early eighties. Okay, yeah. who was who? Like, I don't believe I ever heard of her. Before. Like most of the women, well, who, she was ahead. very predominant in the uh, Miller run. Yes, so that's why you. It's been a while since I've read that. Yeah, that was in that was in that run where she was really up front. As yeah, a, okay. as a supporting character. And like most of the women in Matt's life, she will become. She will be a tragic character. Oh yeah, the, the women in <laughs> the women in Matt Murdock's life. From what do I know about him? Holy God, this guy got around, didn't he? He got around. There's even a brief love triangle here between Moon Dragon, the Black Widow, and and Daredevil. Yeah. So, man, I got to read these issues right away. <laughs> Good gosh Almighty! But I got to give him credit. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's. But I think what I want to emphasize to listeners is that even the book has a lot of different tone changes because there's, there's different creative teams. 
and and Kevin mentioned this in the last episode. You know, the book was in danger of cancellation at a couple different times in the 1970s. Yeah, uh, it might have even gone bi-monthly. It did go bi-monthly at, 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 at a point. point. Yeah, but it's still really fun. And there's a lot of good stories in here. And, and the stuff between Matt and the Black Widow is really, really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And and they really build, uh, you know, their relationship. And you know, they have the vicissitudes of it and the problems they I'm have. I'm sorry. The ups and downs, my friend. Thank you. Dumb it down for yes. pants. Um, <laughs> again, he went third person. I love when he goes Bob Dole like that. <laughs> so um, this this is this is a this is a, a, a run of digital that's important. And it, it should be celebrated and, and acknowledged just because, it, it, again, it gets overshadowed. Um, and, but there's still elements of it that still uh, reverberate today. And you, we mentioned before in our pre-air discussion about the Daredevil Netflix show. Probably not initially, but I hope eventually they do actually maybe bring the Black Widow into that, which I think would be incredibly cool. Absolutely. Um, they'll probably do Electra first would be my guess. But um, it, it's, 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 it's a, this is a really fun era. I'm looking forward to discussing it. Yeah, My friend? I agree. I mean, you, quirky is the best way to describe yeah. this run. I mean, it, it is all over the place. I mean, I mean, you know, that's why I made the joke when you said about, you know, about reading these. And, and, and I don't remember if I read any of these or not. And that's why I said you would know. Because, I mean, <laughs> some of this stuff, I mean, it's, you know, it's some, I mean, some of this stuff literally is kind of off the wall. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it is, you know. Mandrill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, already grinning. Well, it was the seventies, and there was a little bit of uh, the funny stuff going on in the offices. I understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just I it I, it suffered. I shouldn't say it suffered. That's not the right term. But I mean, it 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 is a reflection of the rotation of yeah. the creative teams that were on the book in this time frame that we're reviewing at this time, and and everybody. I mean, it's not like. It's not like you, like you said, you know, you were talking before about how you read, you know, uh, Kevin Smith's run, and then you, you know, went into reading the Bendis stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you kept. Being, it wasn't fluent as as you know, even though you had a change of tone, and you know what I mean. But this stuff is kind of like, man, it it almost like hits you, you know. It's like you know, from from going to the great stuff with the interactions with him and Black Widow and being in San Francisco and then him coming to back to New York and stuff. And next thing you know, you're hit with cosmic stuff, you know, Daredevil <laughs> and cosmic storylines, you know, and it's like, wow. it's just, it's just like, it really is abrupt in a, yeah. in a way. It's not, you know, um, but there is gems in the run. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that, and that happened on every comic title. I mean, I don't care what character it is in this time frame there's times where every character suffered from you know that that, that they've had off time oh, sure. you know what i mean it's not everybody's but you know so but this is just a period of uh, of uh, a a good amount of creators coming in and doing their take on the character and obviously the book was struggling so that I, I think they were open to you know having people try something different you know to see what would stick you know and whenever that happens you get Great stuff and uh, and stuff that's forgettable. Yeah, it's always there's yeah. always that risk, you know. Um, we should also remember that this era introduced Bullseye, yes. who becomes one of Daredevil's most important, uh, and that is one of the most yeah. significant, you know, yeah. things in this run. When and that was Marv Wolfman. Yes, and, it was, and that yeah. uh, I give props to him because that's why I was grateful to see him on on the book. Um, and obviously, like he gave us Bullseye, so what else can you ask, you know? So, um, but yeah, it's a it's it's some cool stuff and it's some really off the wall stuff. So. It's, uh, but it's still, you know, some of the some of my favorite stuff is in here. You know, the, the whole Black Widow and San Francisco stuff. I love. Yeah, it's a lot of. Fun. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, I didn't think I was going to like it, but between uh, the relationship that was established between them and how well it was written, had me intrigued 
you know, and he was fighting Electro and, you know, people like that in there. But I, what really hooked me was Gene Colan's oh. drawing of of Daredevil in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, he literally, I mean, and these creators actually went out to San Francisco to. Really? Yeah. To get a grasp as to what it Colin was. Colin did that for Tomb of Dracula, too. He went to Boston and yep. took photographs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I'm telling you. I, that, that's, I did not yeah. know that. And, and you can see it because when you look at Gene Colan's drawing, I mean, to me, in this run where he goes to San Francisco, San Francisco is just as prominent character as New York is in the other yeah, Marvel absolutely. titles. I mean, you can just, I mean, there's images and there's some of my favorite images of Daredevil, you know, like one with he's on the Golden Gate Bridge and it's a great bird's eye perspective, you know, and it's such, it's, I just, you know, it's something that stuck with me so predominantly. I mean, it's just so good. I read a quote um, while I was preparing for this from Jerry Conway where he was saying how he'd just been to San Francisco and he thought the environment was perfect for a character like Daredevil. He really, he really liked the area and he decided it would be, just be fun to introduce him into that uh, new environment. So it was, it was, and that was one of the things that you know it was, a, it was a shot because I mean, what other character has you he know? He was the first Marvel superhero to headquarter outside to he- New York exactly. City. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, this was something that wasn't you know we look at it today and go, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But that time, you're taking a you know a prominent character and he's out of New York City, and every Marvel character is in New York City. You know, so it was different. Um, but it it was a shot in the dark. It was one of the things they threw against the wall and it stuck. You know, it was a great idea. And they threw a lot of. Uh, and I'm looking forward to Merd's take. Some of the, some some of Marvel's I think quirkiest villains. Oh yeah, Manbull, Mandrill, Angar the Screamer, Angar the Screamer, oh, my. which is yeah. just fantastic. Madame McEvil and uh, <laughs> uh, the Indestructible Man, and you know there's oh, there's yeah. some really funky, wacky stuff going on yeah. in this era. Yeah. So it, it's, it's I'm looking forward to the discussion. Pat, do you have any more initial questions, my friend? Um, no, I I don't. Well, okay, wait. please, please. Did either of you two read these books at the time they were being published. No, I did not. Okay, because I know I, you're sort of in that age I was group. a little too young. Okay, um, sort of I, I read a lot of them in the 1980s when I found a lot of cheap back issues. Okay, so okay. A lot, most of the stories we're going to talk about I've read. I mean a lot of them I haven't read in many, many years, but I've read, I've read most of them at some point okay. or another. Yeah, Very I've good. read them. I just didn't read them while they were taking okay. place. So I, had, I had expose exposure to Daredevil um, very, very limited um, – but when I really started to take notice to him was uh, when Colin came back right before Miller came on the book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those – I had a couple issues like he was fighting Cobra and Hyde yep. and some of that stuff. And that's when it really got me to set up and take notice. Um, and I was grateful for that because obviously then what transpired afterwards, you know, it just went from there. But But yeah, when this run was going on, I really wasn't that aware of it. I was still mainly focused on Spider-Man. I really wasn't. um... Well, to piggyback that, have you both read every Daredevil issue in his main title? In the 380 issues plus? Yes, I have. Uh, Yes. Not not in order. Some back issues, but yeah, I've read read them all. I mean, when we talk about – when we get to the 90s, that's going to be – (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's, that's be t- there are some some good moments, but that's going to yeah, be tough. Well, it's kind of similar, I, basically. Yeah, yeah. When you're talking about when you get into that run and compared yeah. to this Bronze Age run, it's, yeah. it's it's quirky, but there's yeah. some good stuff in it, you know. It's, yeah. But we'll get to that yeah. then. But let's. <laughs> you know, the first time I ever read or collected Daredevil was Fall from Grace. So. Oh wow! Um, I, 
three twenty. Smack dab in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, that was three nineteen. Might have been the first issue I bought yeah. was Fall from Grace. Yeah, yeah. three nineteen sounds familiar. Yeah, like three nineteen was the start of Fall from Grace, and then it ended at three twenty five. Okay. The prologue, which was kind of a hot collector's item for a couple yeah. of months there. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of months. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so indicative of the comic market. So well for it. Yeah. So and I was born at about the. The, the end of the period we're going to be discussing here. So. January 1st, 1979? That is oh. correct, sir. Wow. So, uh, suffice to say, I'm going to be just uh, sitting in the lecture hall listening to you guys <laughs> holding forth. Well, Murray, you have some copious notes there. I'm looking forward to it. I have notes, yeah, but I, I have no <laughs> real first-hand experience with Daredevil in the 70s. Understood. Must admit. Yeah, I have no notes and no first-hand experience. <laughs> well, Murray, no, knowing your, your, uh, your likes and dislikes, a lot of these stories you would get a huge kick out of. There's, there's no question yeah. in my mind. I could see that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but it's nice to understand. I mean, uh, it's always been with the show, and I still agree the same thing. Even though that, you know, like Shane, you said, I have no notes and I have no recollection of reading these stories, you know. But it's nice to you still be part because when we talk about it, it, it like, you know, with pants, it raises questions. You, oh, yeah. know, you know what I mean? And there's something you may, you know. So I always enjoy listening to you guys. So you never know. I mean, you know. Lament about this stuff. Yeah. Good to have an open mind. Let's dive into the checklist. Let's go. All right. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Well, we left off uh, – we stopped at issue 80, and there was a cliffhanger because at the end of issue 80, uh, Daredevil is, is in conflict with one of his, his classic rogues gallery, the Owl. And they are uh, struggling on board the Owl's helicopter, and it crashes in uh, New York Harbor. Karen Page is watching. She assumes Matt has been killed. Remember, Karen knows that Matt is Daredevil. Yes. And this is what has driven them apart multiple times, and she just can't – she can't commit to him because she just can't handle uh, his alter ego mm-hmm. and the dangers that are you know, inherent with that. Um, at the same time, that the, sh- the, the shadowy, enigmatic Mr. Klein, uh, we talked about in the last uh, episode, is still tr- trying to manipulate events behind the scene. He's hiring different uh, you know, thugs to sort of carry out his machinations, so that's still unfolding. And Karen is also drawing closer to her Hollywood agent, who's named Phil, uh, who's clearly uh, <laughs> taken with her, and you know is trying to lure her away from her her uh, her tumultuous feelings for Matt. You know, so and I have to say at this point because I, I reread some of these stories just recently. Karen's dialogue is such classic bad romance comic dialogue <laughs> at this point. It's I mean it's it's almost funny. You know, she's just. Oh, Phil, I shouldn't, you know, and he's just <laughs> torn between. It's Karen Page has not really done justice until we get into the 1980s yeah. as a character with real depth to her. Yeah. Torn between two looks. Uh, well, it yeah. <laughs> uh, depends on your definition of justice, I suppose. She may achieve depth, but she's also not. Uh, she's not treated with kindness. No, that's very no, true, no, my friend. No. That's very true. No, very true. So, in issue 81, now just a little bit of Marvel history. Um, and I'm, many of you are probably familiar with this. This is the one month where Marvel did the 25-cent covers in the Bronze Age. So they had the, 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 the thicker glue-bound – for one month, they raised the price to 25 cents. Martin Goodman was in a cunning uh, price war with DC, and DC also raised their price. You know there was about a year where DC had the 25-cent covers in the early 1970s. You look, you look befuddled, my friend. Well, I take yeah. your word for it. My yeah. top of my head, I can't. Yeah, you, you have them. You probably have them all. You probably have them all. Yes. Have them all. So <laughs> haven't read them either. <laughs> so <laughs> that one, that one month, those those Marvel books are highly collectible, especially in high grade, because whenever you have, the, as you know, the glue bound spine, mm. it's much easier for those books to become damaged. Every, almost every Marvel title had a, thi- it was a thicker number of pages. It was twenty five cents. Then 
Goodman dropped his books down to 20 cents. DC stayed at 25, and then Marvel. That's one of the ways that Marvel then actually outfought DC at that time in terms of rack space and 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 sell through numbers because Goodman went the price up, and then he dropped it down a nickel, giving the illusion that Marvel was now cheaper, even though he had actually raised the book from 15 cents to 25 cents. He brought it back down to 20 cents. Because it D- didn't go back up to 25 until like 76 yeah. and, or something. And, D- and DC stayed with the 25 cents for quite a while, and apparently they took a bath on that. Yeah. Um, but for, for the readers, you got one glorious month where you had thicker Marvel comics with original material in them because they weren't reprints for the most part. They might have had some in the back, but that were 25 cents. And that was this first issue, and the Black Widow saves Daredevil. She brings him up uh, from the, the New York Harbor. And I read an interview with Conway. He said he always liked the Black Widow character. He just thought that <laughs> – He always had a thing for redheads, as I recall. Fair, fair point. Sir. No, I think we discussed yeah. that with him on one of the episodes. <laughs> oh, the classic interview. Yes. That was a great, it's a great <laughs> episode. Uh, at number 700-something. Um, so he wanted to put her into the book. He thought she would work well with Daredevil. They thought they'd have an interesting dynamic. And I got to tell you, uh, especially when Colin draws her, the Black Widow is one of the hottest superheroines yeah. in, in comics. Uh, and so she comes into the book. She saves Daredevil. He doesn't realize she's saved him because he's, he's unconscious, and she, she kind of leaves him there. Um, but they're, of course, eventually going to meet up. And in issue 82, uh, the Scorpion has been hired. As one of Mr. Klein's operatives, and he attacks, and the Widow and Daredevil team up again. And, and during the during the melee, the Black Widow, it seems like she she pushes Scorpion off a, a ledge, and he is seeming quote killed. She it was an accident, but people accuse her of murder essentially. And I should point out uh, right off the get go that, that Matt and Natasha, the relationship is not all hearts and flowers. Yeah, there there's often uh, tension. Natasha is. Natasha, first of all, has her espionage history, which does come up a little bit in this era, even mm-hmm. more down the road, mm-hmm. which is clearly has torment about. And also, she's very torn about. I'm a very independent woman, you know. I don't like because you know. Remember this: the '70s when the feminist movement is really gaining ground, and you know, comics sometimes blunderingly, sometimes more subtly, are reflecting you know events going on in society. And so that they often have these arguments about you know her place. In their relationship, and is it really an equal partnership and things of that nature? So. Now, at at this point in her in her history, was she also has she been involved with Tony Stark before prior to this? Well, she had fought Tony Stark in the Silver Age oh, when she when she was when she was a villain, an enemy agent. Right? Okay, yeah. I'm just trying to think of where because I know she's had a lot of relationships as well. In oh yeah, yeah I don't universe. think she was romantically limped till him no. until much later. Yeah. Okay, she she Hawkeye. Yes, she used him as a, yes. a pawn against Iron Man. Yes. And Hawkeye ah, will actually okay. in vintage Hawkeye form. He will show up one of these issues demanding Natasha get back together. That's, with him. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I do remember. Okay, yeah, but um, remember she first appeared in Tales of Suspense, and her her costume was a dress and like a. Veil over right. her face, yeah. and then they, then they gave her, I think, a costume with like a spider on it and like a mask. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then John Romita Senior designed the, the classic Black Widow costume that we're all familiar with, right. which I think first appeared in actually in Amazing Spider-Man. It did issue yeah. eighty-six. Yeah. Well done, sir. All right, issue eighty-three. Uh, Con- Conway will be writing the book now for several issues. He has his own own run. Uh, this issue features two great Marvel Bronze Age artists, Alan Weiss. I've always think is just has beautiful work. Uh, and uh, Barry Windsor Smith is assisting, and Bill Everett is inking. Not long before his death, actually, he'll die in 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this issue, Foggy is the DA of New York City, and he decides to try to prosecute Natasha for the quote murder of the Scorpion, 
Is the scorpion's name Abner? No, that's the beetle. That's the beetle. What's a scorpion? Matt Gargan. Mac- McDonald Gargan. McDonald yeah. Gargan. Thank you, sir. Yes. And, you know, Matt, of course, doesn't agree with that, and he wants to, to defend Natasha. And the next issue comes out that Foggy is doing this because he's being blackmailed again by the mysterious Mr. Klein, who's revealed in this issue finally. And this, this storyline was an Iron Man. Like, they carried yeah. Mr. Klein a while. Yeah. That he's a robot from the future entitled MK-9. Oh, boy. And <laughs> Quirky, you say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently, he came back from the future to, to save the future of the human race. And to do that, for some reason, he has to eliminate Daredevil and the Black Widow. Because apparently something will happen that if they're not killed, the human race is in trouble. Huh. Um, and I think two guys from the future show up, and I think they kill – they destroy the robot – and uh, you know Matt and Natasha at this point begin their romance, their their torrid affair, essentially. So that that ends the saga of, of Mr. Klein slash MK dash nine. Hmm. Um, like the stories like this, you can't imagine them in in like the Daredevil most people know of. Right. Like it, it, it's it's very much a whole different. Uh, it's still take. more like a superhero book. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. whereas you know what we what what has become more. Prominent in the past thirty years of understanding Daredevil as a street level character, kind of you know, which I'm sure the Netflix show noir will show, and yeah. you know things of that nature. <laughs> yeah. Where, but up until this point, it still was being written and you know trying new things as a superhero book. Yep. You know, so uh, issue eighty five, Foggy resigns because he feels ashamed of the blackmail. He feels it, it. You know, he corrupted his office, so he resigns as DA. And uh, there's a battle with the gladiator, who's you know was a class one of the classic part of Daredevil's rogues gallery, who has an interesting character transformation in the 1980s, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. And Karen returns because you know she realizes Matt is alive, and they seem to reunite. Just after he got up with Natasha, that was very, going back yeah, to Karen. Very, and I'm, yeah, again, Matt Murdock. When you really look at his life. As admirable as he is, sometimes he's kind of a dick when it comes to women. I, <laughs> no. I mean, he really is. Um, now, I should point out, and Myrtle will appreciate this, in issue 85, in, the, le- in the, the, the letter column, Let's Level with Daredevil, there is a, <laughs> there is a letter from a young Mark Grunewald, um, which once again, you have that tr- Marvel tradition of a lot of future creators, starting with Roy letter Thomas, yep. their, their letters are appearing in the early part of, of, Famden, of fandom. Excuse me. Um, in issue 86... Matt announces to the world that Karen Page and I are engaged. <laughs> wow. And but Karen calls it off because she cannot handle the fact that he is Daredevil. So she returns in issue 85, 86, they announce engagement, and then Karen calls it off. And then Matt resumes his relationship with Natasha, <laughs> who apparently is relatively okay <laughs> with the fact that Matt, you know, jumped ship that quickly and then got back on board, so to speak. So you know, that their their romance is rekindled. And uh, Villain Graham going on in the background of this issue. <laughs> this issue shows us one of the many deaths, many deaths, baby, death, one of the many deaths of the ox of the enforcers. That's right. I, please, Mert, I forgot about Poor that. Poor guy, strange and uh, twisting path he walks. Uh, he's he's just, just kind of a big uh, muscle-bound guy as yep. part of this uh, group of enforcers who literally call themselves the enforcers. Yep. Him yeah. and uh, Montana and Fancy Dan, those guys. Um, he at some point uh, got into some kind of brain-swapping procedure with a mad scientist <laughs> named 
Carl Strag, I think his name was. And uh, Carl Strag then proceeded to die in the ox's body. But in this issue, the ox exposes himself to cobalt radiation or something, and uh, that somehow causes his, well, the scientist's body in which he was trapped to yes. mutate into a duplicate of his own body. Because uh, uh, radiation is the power of imagination in the Marvel Universe, Absolutely. apparently. Yeah. Just look at gamma radiation, mutations, that cause. Stan Lee created, co-created a whole universe out of it, essentially. Basically, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. so that's what happened for the ox. He fought Daredevil, and he ended up dying again. And then later on, it was revealed he had a twin brother. And oi, 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 with the twins. I don't know if the twin brother has died yet, but it's only a matter of time. <laughs> but you can see the trend that that Daredevil has followed, basically in the footsteps of Spider-Man. Like yeah, we talked about the last episode, yep. you know. So it's like you see the continuation of this. I mean, you're seeing in this in these. Issues that we're discussing, I mean, between the ox, you're talking the scorpion, the craven comes in, you know. So, I mean, you're you're seeing all these Spider-Man villains still continue in these Daredevil stories. And they will throughout the bunch of the Bronze Age. Exactly. Uh, issue 87, again, Matt and Natasha now move together as a couple to San Francisco. Natasha's living off her inheritance. She's with her, her faithful manservant and protector, Ivan. Yeah. Who I don't even know if is still alive or even is used anymore as a character. Probably not. Um, but he was always at Natasha's side uh, throughout the Bronze Age. And I love this because, again, it's, it's it's the early 70s. So what they do is <laughs> Matt and Natasha live in separate rooms. So <laughs> so Natasha has the top floor of the, the, her mansion, and then Ivan and Matt live downstairs on the <laughs> on the bottom floor. Uh, I guess they weren't ready yet to show them cohabitating in a, in a, the same bedroom. So. Noodling. Yes. Although it's and and they they explain to people that they're quote friends essentially, but what's interesting here is that Matt Murdock is also making obviously his presence felt in San Francisco. He will join a law firm, and Matt Murdock is with Natasha Romanov as himself in public. Yeah. So people are going to start to and they actually deal with this. Well, Daredevil's hanging out with the Black Widow when they're doing adventures, and then Matt Murdock is her partner. So. Yeah. So that, that question obviously is going to come up. Um, issue 88, again, I think one of the creepiest villains of the Marvel Universe is the Purple Man. We've talked about him in the last episode. Mm. I think we have Bendis to thank yes, for exactly. his creepiness. Exactly. We've talked about the alias run. And he appears, uh, and he's a recurring classic Daredevil villain. When we get to the latter part of the Bronze Age, he'll play a major role when it comes to Heather Glenn yes. uh, and her family. And Ivan reveals that – and this is where retconning really has taken place – that he raised Natasha since World War II because I I think her family were all dead, and he kind of protected her and and, and brought her up. Um, I don't know how they address that today. Obviously, they can't say she was a child in World War II because she would be a much, much older woman. She'd she'd be in her her 60s, even 70s. So that obviously has been retconned out, but that was – Explanation that I remember even when we get to the classic um, – when we talked about the X-Men, I think it was issue 268 with the classic issue where Wolverine and – they show Wolverine and Cat meeting for the first time in Madripoor, mm-hmm. and the Black Widow was there as a child, yeah. and they work with Ivan to free her from Baron Strucker. So she was – you've read that story. So she was a little kid. So I'm sure today they've kind of updated that one if, yeah. if they've even addressed it at all. Um, in issue 89, Kilgrave finds out that Electro's in town. So again, the Spider-Man villain appearing. And they team up to fight, you know, their their hated uh, enemy uh, Daredevil. They're defeated, and Kilgrave is quote killed. Obviously, he's going to return. 
Um, why don't you remind people what Kilgrave's insidious power is, actually? Oh, uh, pheromone manipulation. He can cause people to uh, do his bidding. Like, uh, powers of suggestion. And, and in both genders, correct? Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think he's a little more effective on females. But uh, that's, he, been, that's been elaborated on greatly ever since, Or yes. at least he kind of has a thing for manipulating the behavior of females. Well, and, and the current issues that Mark Wade's doing. Have you read those yet, Pants? Um, a few behind. All I'll say is the Purple Man has returned. And they're taking it in a very interesting new direction. Okay. And I'll just leave it at that. So when we get to the 2000s, we can talk about that. Now, <laughs> issue 90, uh, Natasha starts to talk more about her past as an espionage agent. Because uh, remember, as we mentioned earlier, when she first appeared, she was a Soviet agent. And you know, she was you know, the classic anti-communist early 60s Iron Man stories. So you know, she has that whole past. And she talks about an unfinished mission involving something called Project 4. Which we're going to learn is this globe that has just harnesses just incredible energies, and it was an unfinished mission. And then you know she she was hoping that she could obtain this globe before it fell in the wrong hands and that type of thing. Uh, so that that's going to be now a recurring subplot going forward uh, for several issues. Issue ninety one has an interesting quote, which I think sums up the tension between Matt and Natasha. I've been your partner, Mister Murdoch, but you haven't been mine. So <laughs> you know there's there's that. It is throughout throughout this run, you know, that they're they're at odds. And at this point, I should mention, uh, and it's the next issue. They started entitling his pants. Mentioned Daredevil and the Black Widow. Mm-hmm. And in issue ninety one, Matt, you know, it's kind of like housekeeping. Matt needs a job. He joins a law firm, and there's going to be intrigue with that. And one of the partners in his law firm is an old college uh, associate, Larry Cranston. Myrtle know who this is. Mm-hmm. And who does he become in this issue? Uh, well, he becomes the third individual to the use third. the identity of Mr. Fear. Yeah, and he actually made his first appearance in just like a cameo or a uh, percolating subplot capacity in issue number 88. Oh, thank and you. And that uh, bears fruit pretty quickly here in number uh, 90 – was it 91 or 92? 91, yeah. Larry uh, Zoltan Draga was the first Mr. Fear, correct? Right. And he, was, he was murdered by the machine smith. Well, or well, Star Saxon. Right, and he died while he was uh, 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 using the identity of Mr. Fear, and then he yeah. became the he machine. He put his consciousness into the machine body, right. and then Larry got his hands on what Mr. Fear's power is just to create just off-the-wall panic in people, right? That yeah, he, he, just, he has a, a gas gun, basically. Yeah. That, uh, it's it's kind of like the Scarecrow uh, sends the whimsy. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Sands the whimsy. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's just he was a, the original was a sculptor who accidentally discovered a, a gas that induces fear while of he was course he did. trying to yeah. create living sculptures to help him take over the country or something. <laughs> Perfect sense. I feel like he's a temperamental artist. But yeah, <laughs> then Larry Cranston somehow found out about uh, he, he uh, I think he presented himself as a relative of Star Saxons and I was don't recall, yeah. able to acquire his fear paraphernalia that way. And Larry find out is like a spiteful and hateful towards Matt from their college days, and he tries to – and he's, he's figured out that Matt is Daredevil because Matt is in San Francisco, San Francisco with Natasha, and Daredevil's there with the Black Widow. And remember, everybody knows Natasha Romanoff is the Black Widow. She does not have a secret identity, right. so you know, she doesn't wear a mask. So you know, he makes that connection, and he, they, they battle, and he ends up committing suicide. And there will be other Mr. Fears after him. Yeah, right. That we're gonna, his we're nephew, talk. Alan Fagan. Yeah. I know I count on murder. He doesn't show up for <laughs> yeah. a bunch of years after that. Sometime yeah. in the late eighties, I think. Yeah, and then and in, in the, at least the Carl Kiesel stuff in the nineties, there's a Mister Pe- Mister Fear appearance. Yes. We'll talk about. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, there was a, a, a female Fear. She called herself Shock, I think. 
she didn't go by like Miss Fear or Ms. Fear. Or On so Lady many levels, I'm always like glad that. you're here, Mert. <laughs> <laughs> Very early 90s kind of character. Yes. And uh, issue 92 begins the masthead that Pants mentioned, Daredevil and the Black Widow. And this masthead will remain in place through issue 108. And those are some of – when I was buying back issues of Daredevil in the 80s when these were very cheap, um, I always loved getting these issues because, again, I just really enjoyed – even as a kid, the Daredevil Black Widow – plus the Black Widow was hot, mm-hmm. right? The Daredevil Black Widow uh, dynamic. Um, and this issue is fun because we find out that T'Challa, the Black Panther, close to my heart, uh, out of his friendship for Matt Murdock, he puts on the Daredevil costume – and he acts as Daredevil, and then Matt and Daredevil appear together in public. So, so now people think, oh, Matt Murdock is not Daredevil. All right, issue 93. I thought that this, this villain is just classic 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Damon Dran is a multimillionaire organizational genius who is also paranoid about the possibility of nuclear holocaust consuming the earth. So in order to uh, save himself from that – you know that paranoid inevitability mm-hmm. he gets his hands on the uh, project for globe of power and he transforms himself into a being called the indestructible man <laughs> and you know this is so he can protect himself from that the possibility of n- nuclear armageddon and of course he goes on a rampage and there's a character called danny french who is uh, an old uh, espionage associate of natasha and he's there to help them and to try to finish out this mission and ultimately, in, the, in issue 94, the final melee, both Dran and Danny French are killed. French kind of sacrifices himself to ensure that the indestructible man is defeated. These stories are not – I mean if you're talking about like essential daredevil, like these are not issues you, I would say you have to read. <laughs> but, but for the complete, it's but, yeah, like but, myself, but, you know. Yeah, but they're fun. I mean Kevin, would you agree that – Or they're quirky. Yeah, I mean it's – yeah, <laughs> it's not that they – it's not that they're horrible. No, it's no. just it's just the choice of, of you know these villains that they decided to try to – you know, I think obviously trying to establish a rogues gallery and again keeping with that superhero motif, you know, of of still being a superhero book, but they're they're not I you know, I would I I would never say avoid them, you know. No, I, absolutely not. They're still worth reading. Um it, they can be quirky, but they're not awful. Well, speaking <laughs> of quirky in the next issue, Man Bull. <laughs> Murray, could you quickly give us the Man Bull's origin, please? Oh, yeah. Well, this isn't his first appearance. I know, but uh, yeah. he's a, he was a street-level thug, called himself Bull Taurus. Um, <laughs> his real name was William Torrens. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, 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 had, that was retconned later on. It's like it was destiny. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was working in a, a press gang, basically, a bunch of uh, uh, local toughs who'd been hired to kidnap people for um, uh, medical experiments with uh, – well, animal hormones uh, to, to try to create super soldiers, as uh, many, of course. many people of questionable intent were trying to do in the 60s and 70s. And um, when uh, uh, he was trying to capture a young couple and uh, they got away, and for some reason his boss, I think it was Mr. Klein, probably uh, was upset with he was him everywhere. for having d- – yeah. so he, he, Mr. Klein gave the order that because uh, Bull Taurus let these kids get away, he must become the subject for the experiment for which those two – the young couple was intended. Uh, so he was injected with a bunch of uh, bull uh, glandular secretions for, uh, secretions from I a thought bull. you were going to say bull semen for just a second. <laughs> <laughs> I put him on steroids. Yeah. They force-fed him Rocky Mountain oysters until he <laughs> – and he ended up mutating into a large, uh, well, taurine creature. Just from the cover. With horns and everything. It sounds like he's speaking, I am bull man. You make me mad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, sometimes he's written that way. Most of the time, though, he's still more or less coherent and can okay. speak English. He actually showed up uh, in one of the weight issues recently. Oh, really? Yes, uh, very, very briefly. He was, he was dispatched very quickly. Yes, but, yeah. it was a special issue. It might have been the 50th anniversary issue. Yeah. I think it was with that issue, yes. Yeah, he was dispatched. So yeah, he's yes. still around. Could he speak in complete sentences? He was. He was, he was defeated very, rather quickly, so yeah. he didn't yeah. much to say. Me <laughs> and Mambo, like Bizarro. <laughs> but it, it, he <laughs> wasn't very well educated to begin with. No. But he was, no. Okay. It was at least verbal. It doesn't make him a bad person. It's just a muscular man with a basically... <laughs> Other, something else made him a bad person. Exactly. Because he, he definitely is one. A muscular but, man with a big bull head, essentially. When I'm looking yeah. at the cover, you you hurt Mambo, made people put him in prison, <laughs> Now and now you must pay. Me angry. Well, issue ninety five and ninety six is the Man Bull Saga, and <laughs> the Man Bull Saga. And, and whole saga. Nobody's ever put it that way. And, and they're in the melee. Daredevil's actually shot and injured. Uh, Daredevil's been shot many times in his oh, history. Yeah. When I think about it, and it turns out <laughs> this is classic. The Man Bull is so outraged that he's he's trapped in this form that he wants to turn all of San Francisco. To look like him. <laughs> so, you know, he's not the only in, – in this agonized solitude of being the only person who's a man bull. So he has the serum that can turn him into this. So he's going to put it in the San Francisco's water supply. <laughs> this is like the Joker, right? Won't like, dilute it at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the idea is – but Daredevil stops and, and the, the battle of the man bull again seemingly drowns. He'll be back though uh, before the Bronze Age is even over. So uh, – we now – Steve Gerber is going to start to phase in as the writer. So in issue 97, Conway and Gerber are plotting together, and these issues such have such a Steve Gerber imprint on them. Uh, I'm a big Gerber fan. I love his idiosyncratic approach. And uh, in this issue we have – there's a street performer named Mordecai Jones. He's giving a performance, and he's attacked by a vicious dog that is his owner loses control of it. We should note that Gene, Gene Colan was a huge dog lover. He, he loved to draw dogs any opportunity he could. One of the reasons why Tuma Dracula, Quincy Hark always had his dog with him to protect him. And Mordecai Jones, by some mysterious entity we'll learn about later, is transformed into a being called the Dark Messiah. Mm-hmm. And the Dark Messiah will form – will have disciples that will come to him. We have to remember this is the early 70s, so cults are also mm-hmm. you know, sort of in the zeitgeist at that time. So he's going to become an issue for a little while. Um, Daredevil defeats him, but he's going he's gonna to show up again. And we jump forward a couple issues to 99. Now Gerber is writing Daredevil. He's the writer. And this issue's fun. Uh, first of all, you got the great Sam Queskin uh, doing pencils, and Sh- Sid Shore is doing inks. Yeah, I love Sid Shore's Phenomenal. And yeah, I remember you said the last episode you thought Shore is one of Colin's greatest inkers, I do, actually. I, yes, I believe. That's my opinion. But. No, I think he's way up. Well, he and Tom Palmer are way up there. Yeah. This issue, Hawkeye comes back. He's quit the Avengers in a snit, one of many times he's done that. <laughs> and... He shows up at, at, at their house in San Francisco saying, all right, Natasha, I'm here for you. I want you back. <laughs> and Matt's like says, really? And they, of course, it's, it's Marvel, so you know a battle's going to break out, and this time it's over who's going to end up with the Black Widow. And she's angry because she doesn't like the – because the Black Widow is a very independent-minded woman. She doesn't like the idea of two men demanding that she be with one of them. She's, well, I'm going to make up my own mind, the hell with both of you. And ultimately, Daredevil and Hawkeye, you know, they – they stop their battle, and this is leading to Avengers 111. We probably mentioned this in our Avengers Bronze Age episode from last year, but I'll just review it quickly. It turns out that Magneto, by manipulating the iron in the blood of many of the X-Men, the Avengers are controlling them bodily and getting them to do his will. So the surviving Avengers who are not been, being controlled uh, 
get help from Daredevil and the Black Widow, that they go to New York and they help defeat Magneto. And then Natasha decides to stay in New York and join the Avengers. Now, we should point out that the Black Widow has been affiliated with the Avengers many times up to this point. Myrtle always grimaced at the classic Lady Liberator story. There he goes. <laughs> Shaking my head sadly. Yeah. As much as I love Roy Thomas, this is a more ham-handed attempt at addressing the rising feminist movement uh, in the early 1970s. Again, it's, it's, it's issue 80-something. I forgot the exact number, but it's an Avengers issue certainly well worth reading. Um, but she joins the Avengers formally now, and she – this is one where she and Matt on more than one occasion sort of like these mini breakups uh, during their, their, their torrid romance. But she's only going to be with the Avengers for a very brief time at this point. She'll have a much longer time with them later on, and this takes us to issue 100. I remember the cover, <laughs> uh, yellow with Daredevil in the foreground. I think various elements of his history behind him. Behind him, yeah. It's, it's colon, so it's fantastic artwork throughout. Um, John Tartaglioni is doing the inking, and this is this is pure Gerber. Matt, because he's in San Francisco, so the Rolling Stone offices are in San Francisco. <laughs> so he Jan saves Winter, the, right? yep, he saves the Rolling Stone offices from a robbery, and then Jan Wenner says, "Hey, how about an interview?" So in the comic book, Jan Wenner is rendered interviewing Daredevil. Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, again, Marvel always has those moments. Where they would they would you know they would want to appear topical and try to sort of tap into the zeitgeist of the time, and Gerber was always a great writer for that. Um, and th- this issue this is this is vintage Steve Gerber, vintage Angar the Screamer <laughs> attacks Murd begin. <laughs> Most kind of you indeed. His name is David Allen Angar. <laughs> he's a down-on-his-luck rock-and-roll singer. Yep. And uh, he's been contacted by a shady lawyer named Kerwin Broderick. <laughs> I believe we eventually learn is just acting as an advance man for uh, Moondrag. Yes, Although yes. he has uh, he has sinister designs of his own. But uh, uh, he acts as the middleman. He uh, contacts Angar, brings him in, and performs well, – allows Moondragon to perform clandestinely some titanium – Operations on his uh, throat muscles, giving him the ability to uh, induce vivid hallucinations through screaming. So he becomes like a living LSD factory, I think is how he's actually described in the text of one of the stories. <laughs> Love Gerber. Master of the mind storm. <laughs> and didn't he have a headband? Like, yes, yeah. he, he was dressed in, in ragged full jeans, hippie like gear. Vest. Yes. Yeah, he had that like the like the leather vest with no the shirt. fringes on it. Mm. You know, and, yeah. and wasn't that, wasn't Songbird when she was meme screaming Mimi with him at some point? That later was on a, a retcon. It was a retcon. I'm pretty okay. sure. Yeah, that's something that uh, Kurt Busiek is when he was building a backstory for what yeah. happened to screaming Mimi. That, that that brought her to the the masters of evil. Okay, and how she ended up a part of that group, and thereby a member of the Thunderbolts. So Angar attacks, and Matt is having these hallucinations. He doesn't understand why, because he hasn't never encountered Angar the Screamer before. And in the next issue, one on one, the Black Order returns. She's with the Avengers for about five minutes. <laughs> it just it just doesn't feel right to her. She goes back to Matt in San Francisco, just in time to help him against Angar. Angar escapes though, but he'll come back because Murd mentioned Moondragon. That's a subplot that that Gerber is going to carry forward. Uh, shortly. Um, issue 102 is interesting as an historical note because it's the first Chris Claremont script at Marvel Comics. Um, I want to say this is about 1972. Gerber had – excuse me. I'm sorry. Claremont had been like sort of like a intern or office boy at yeah. Marvel yeah. when he was in college in the late 60s. He's actually credited in the early 70s with a plot idea for an Avengers story involving the Sentinels. I want to say 101 or 102 that Roy Thomas wrote. But this is his first script. And what better way to start your scripting Marvel than having the Stilt Man appear in your book? <laughs> I remember in our last episode, we were, we were really having a lot of fun talking about just how absurd the Stilt Man is as, as a villain. 
Um, but he's he's been a daredevil mainstay. Oh yeah, throughout the character's entire run. Uh, yeah, and uh, he's still around, I believe. He's still, hmm. yeah. Who the stilt man? Oh sure. Yeah. Well, some version of the stilt man is still around. What is it? Uh, I don't know if Wilbur Day is still Wilbur around, Day. But, That's uh, right. Oh, and speaking of stilts, I, I think I've stuck a big telescoping foot in my mouth a few minutes ago. I'm just looking at uh, Comic Book DB here. Apparently, Angar and Screamin' Mimi did have a history before Busick got his hands on Oh, they on did? Them. They did? Okay. Yeah, I'm seeing that they appear together in uh, an issue of Avengers Spotlight when uh, well, Hawkeye was headlining. Ah, yes. Title. So, my apologies. Apparently, Busick did not make that up, but leave it to him to be – he's one of the few people who remembered yeah. <laughs> that those characters had a relationship. Ah, uh, I adore Kurt Busick's work. <laughs> Now, issue 103, Kevin has been referencing this several times. I know it always works. A Black Widow, and Sp- Black Widow Spider-Man, and Daredevil team up. Spidey and Daredevil team up. Um, frankly, I forgot who they fight in this issue. It's not – I don't think it's a Ramrod, according to the cover? Oh, yeah. yes. He's the third of the, the bad guys that – That uh, Moon Dragon's manipulated. Right. Yeah. Not a memorable villain by any stretch, no. which is why I just forgot about it. Just but, a big cyborg <laughs> bruiser. That's all yeah. he is. But uh, – was there a He-Man character named Ram? Oh, Ram Man. Ram Man. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think you have a toy when you pop it. All right. Anyway. <laughs> um, interesting little footnote. The covers in the seventies, a lot of them were done by either Gil Kane, who was a go-to cover guy, or John Romita Sr. Um, this cover, I, this might have been a Heck Heck cover or Heck Romita. I don't remember which. Uh, let's see. Cover artist John Romita Sr. Okay. The Blackwood image on it was used for the 1975 Marvel Slurpee Cup when 7-Eleven had a whole series oh, yeah, of cups. Yeah. Right, right. At the at the RetroCon, I picked up a Clea Slurpee Cup because I never thought you'd see multimedia with Clea on it from Doctor Strange, and I bought Murd the Adam Warlock Slurpee Cup. So, <laughs> I thank you for that. I've put it in my uh, my kitchen right next to the Adam Warlock Toon Tumbler. Honored, sir. Mine is on the bookcase at Wild Pig because believe me, you never want to drink out of these cups. <laughs> um, <laughs> Issue 104, once again, Spidey, Daredevil takes on Craven the Hunter, who has been hired by – is it the lawyer who hires him to go after – I forgot. He's, he's, I do not know. He's been hired by somebody. He refuses to take the money because to him it's all about the thrill of the hunt. Um, but of course you know, Daredevil survives that encounter. Now this is where things – and I was wrong because I, I wrote here the first appearance of Moon Dragon's not. That was my error. But Jim Starlin does have a creative role in this issue. He's involved in the penciling with Don Heck. We should mention, by the way, Don Heck, really one of the founding fathers of the Marvel Universe. He doesn't get as much attention as Kirby or Ditko, but he was right there from the get-go. Um, I think he drew the first Iron Man appearance yeah. over Kirby layouts. He did a lot of the early Avengers issues. Mm-hmm. Very important artist. Tomorrow just released a wonderful hardcover chronicling his entire career wow. in comics. Yeah. That's it's a great yeah, book. In the studio here somewhere, someone took it home yeah, with him. It's an excellent book. What was it? The Don Heck book? Don Heck. Tomorrow's Don Heck book. And Murray, why don't you just explain to the audience, because Moondragon has a very involved history. Because we're really talking about Thanos here and, and Drax oh, yes. and all that stuff, so She's far away. a character that I fully expect to see in a Guardians of the Galaxy very likely, pre- yeah. sequel at some point. Okay, so her real name's Heather Douglas. Uh, she and her parents were making their way back from a trip to Las Vegas at some point. Uh, at exactly the wrong point, unfortunately, because <laughs> uh, somewhere out there in the desert, uh, a probe that Thanos had dispatched uh, crash-landed and uh, knocked the, their, their car over. Thanos uh, saw to it that... Uh, uh, those in the car were killed 
just to make sure there were no witnesses. So that means uh, Heather Douglas's parents eliminated. But uh, the young Heather uh, had been thrown from the car, so she was spared. Um, but uh, then uh, Mentor, who was Thanos' father right. and ruler of the uh, colony of Eternals living on the, the Saturnian moon of Titan, uh, came by to observe his uh, son's handiwork. Thanos had long since split the scene. Uh, so he found this baby, picked her up, and decided, okay, I'm going to atone for some of your sins here, son. Took her back up to... Uh, to Titan, where she was raised uh, with the eternal children there, uh, taught uh, by the, uh, the the monks of uh, Shaolom, I think it was. Um, and uh, she, uh, despite not having the eternal advantages, the genetic advantages g- uh, given them by the tweaking of the celestials years ago, uh, despite being just a plain old human amongst eternal children, she kept pace just through sheer determination, strength of will, became a model pupil of the monks, the priests, and uh, they uh, taught her uh, well, more than the others were able to learn. She eventually became a um, oh, uh, a cosmic-level mentalist, uh, very, very powerful psychic abilities. Um, she also became extremely arrogant. Um, but she was determined to avenge herself against Thanos. And uh, so I, I think the main reason that she assumed the guise of Madame McEvil and uh, came down to Earth and started uh, creating minor and fairly silly supervillains in the first place was uh, she, she was trying to create more superpowered beings on Earth to help uh, defend the planet against Thanos and ultimately defeat and destroy him. And uh, her father, uh, as a sidebar here, um, eventually became uh, Drax the Destroyer. Yeah. He was resurrected by Thanos' uh, grandfather, I believe, uh, Kronos, mm. yes, who was also an Eternal, but a disembodied Eternal that had uh, evolved to another stage of being after... Some he he had been. Com- oh, this is getting us very far off track, but uh, <laughs> it's anyway. riveting though. Murder is riveting. Uh, he was an eternal also before the uh, Titanian Exodus, and uh, he had uh, performed a laboratory experiment that it created an explosion. Uh, I think it destroyed his physical body, but it endowed the Eternals of Earth with uh, virtual immortality. I'm glad we had this departure though, because it just goes to show what Ke- what Kevin's emphasizing before: how all over the place Daredevil is in this time period. That mm-hmm. you know, they're bringing in this this cosmic character. Essentially, did she first appear in the Iron Man Thanos stories? She okay, yeah, she did. So yeah, I'm finding that Jim Starlin apparently did not directly participate in the creation of that issue, but I think he must have had some input in the issue we're talking about right here. Well, in the Iron Man issue, on oh, the Iron Man issue, it was okay. number fifty four, I think. And so, Thanos' little first appearance cameo was uh, in the very next issue. And Moondragon has – usually I could say she's benevolent, right? I mean she's not evil. Uh, ex- arrogant, yeah. uh, imperious, but yeah. uh, there have been times when uh, she's actually – her behavior has swung towards the evil side. Yeah. Like after the Korvac saga, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that was when she enslaved and mentally enslaved an entire planet. Bob that's, that's, that's pretty awful. Yeah, they were locked <laughs> in a, a centuries-long war, and she decided she was going to come in and just uh, take over their minds and just solve the problem that way because uh, she had been influenced by Korvac's thinking. He was uh, like a, he, he was a former cyborg. He thought uh, the universe should run like clockwork, re- remove all free will, and you'll also remove all suffering. And uh, Moondragon kind of came around to his way of thinking. And she's been in Avengers stories. She reunited with her father. I remember them bringing the death of Captain Marvel yeah, graphic novel. She accidentally I mean, yeah. killed her father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll mess you up a little bit. So in and these stories, um, Moondragon, in the guise of this villainess that you, you've talked about, has been manipulating all these these servants, essentially, these enforcers, like Angar and uh, Ramrod. And, and Dark Messiah, and too. And Dark Messiah, thank you, and his disciples. And 
we find out issue 106. Matt has been part of this law firm because you know he has to make a living in San Francisco, and he finds out the head of the law, law firm, his last name is Sloan, is actually secretly a crime lawyer trying to take over all organized crime in San Francisco. And so they come in, in, into battle, and during the, these issues, Matt Moondragon uses her powers to temporarily restore Matt's sight. But he finds that because he's so reliant on his radar sense that his fighting style is no longer effective because he just can't fight effectively with full vision without his radar sense essentially. And she'll actually re restore his blindness um, d during, during these stories. Um, issue 107, Bob Brown begins his 30-issue run on Daredevil. And I remember these stories very fondly because this is where a lot of the back issues I picked up as a kid were all the Bob Brown rendered uh, stories. What do you think of Bob Brown's art, Kevin? I, you know, when I first got introduced to it, I thought it was very generic. Mm -hmm. You know, there was nothing spectacular about it for me. Um, it actually kind of turned me down on the book. Yeah. You know, I, I I became less interested. Put it that way, um, because to me, it was just it's such a generic style that uh, it, it lost. A good feel for me. I mean, again, when you're going from like well, Colin, Gene to, Colin, yeah, and then going to Bob Brown. I mean, it, you know, I mean, he still told the story fairly decent, and you know, it's not like he had this really quirky style where you know, anatomically everybody was. Oh know, yeah, I mean, it's just no, it's just, just solid. Very just yeah. yeah, he just it's it's it it's just kind of generic. That's the best way I can put it. You know, I don't want to say boring because that's not true, but. Uh, um, but it's a, it's a departure, obviously, from what we were used to. Um, but I, I, I found myself grow tired. Because, again, I came at it as I looked at comics and I appreciated artwork. That's what drew me into comics yeah. was art. You know, Before I actually started reading them, I was always intrigued by art. So that's always my mainstay. I love the art. That's my first thing that I like to look at and, and with a comic. And then I read, you know, so – Having that and, and getting engrossed into into the runs of Daredevil when when he came on as the artist, I, I became less interested in the in the book. Pants, do you have any Bob Brown original art? I do. I mentioned before I have a Batman family page That's right. he drew with okay. a Batwoman in every panel. Okay. So in, in the mid-70s, he was very active. Unfortunately, he'll die of leukemia uh, in 1977. Uh, so in issues 107, 108, it's established that <laughs> Matt is also attracted to Moondragon. And she also acknowledges the attraction, but she says, you know, my place in the universe, you know, I can't – I don't really – can't. it's not something I can really afford. And so that is, this is very brief triangle between Natasha, Matt Murdock, and Moondragon, which you know doesn't last long. Uh, we find out that Debbie – Deborah Harris, who had been around in the Silver Age, she kind of vanished for a long time. She's like Foggy's femme fatale. We find out they're engaged. Um, they will get married, I, I believe, and then later on they'll get divorced. Yes. And we find out that Foggy's shot by a sniper, uh, and I, I can vis vividly recall this cover: Foggy in in a foreground sort of blow up box, you know, in bed, prostrate, you know, Foggy shot, and then the beetle appears, you know, in, in the front cover. And these two issues, a lot goes on. The beetle shows up. The Marvel subversive group Black Spectre, which I'd actually forgotten about until they were used in the Mark Wade Daredevil run. That's just that's going on uh, right now. Hmm. And uh, Captain Marvel, Marvel also appears. You know, he was very big in the 1970s. Sure. Uh, in these stories, and we're going to find out that um, down the road from this a little bit, when Heather Glenn is introduced, that her father is involved in all these behind-the-scenes machinations. Yeah, he has his own business, Glenn yeah. Industries. Yeah. And... So that, that's going to come back. Now, 
Issue 109 is when we have an appearance by the character Necra, who's working in concert with Black Spectre. Murr, what's Necra's uh, main power? She's that white, pale, white-skinned... Yeah, she's... She's a, a living vampire. That's right. Like Morbius, then. Yeah, yep. except she was born that way. It's, it's a mutant talent for her. Well, I remember reading uh, my research uh, just today, actually, that... <laughs> A, sci- a white scientist and a black cleaning lady, Shane, you'll love this, were <laughs> both near a nuclear test site, and they were both irradiated. The And something happened where, like, the scientist had, like, this black kid who was, like, ape-like, and then the – and he, he started to mutate. And then the cleaning lady had this pale-skinned baby – and like one kid was like cast out by the – like the, the kid was cast out by the father. The girl ran away, and they kind of met up, and they bonded, and that's Mandrill <laughs> and uh, Necro. And uh, issue 110 – Bonnie and Clyde of mutant terror. Yes, well put, <laughs> sir. And they, Right, because they were treated really badly in their upbringing, so they're, they're going to lash out now at, at this humanity that has you know, mocked and, and, and rebuffed them. And issue 110, I, I, it's Gene Colonar. So Colon comes back you know, for this issue. He's right, drawing Tomb of Dracula at this point. And this is the first appearance of the Mandrill. Well, it's, again, not his... Oh, I apologize, sir. Not his first appearance. I think it was... He, he first appeared in an issue of Shanna the She-Devil, I believe. You're right, because Shanna will come into these stories. You're correct, yeah, sir. But That's either right. way, I, I think he's a, a Gerber creation. At, well, without question. Yeah. And what, what it, So what's your take on the Mandrill? Apes sell comics, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and mandrills are just such, such colorful creatures, too. Yeah. They're, they're the kind of uh, ape that have uh, those big uh, well, red patches on their cheeks and the, the, the big blue noses. More like baboon type. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, they're the body stri- uh, type and facial structure. They, they yeah. look like baboons but with those oddly bright-colored patches on their faces. And uh, this mandrill, whose real name is uh, Jerome Beachman, looks uh, just like a mandrill, except he's humanoid. I don't think he even has a tail. No, he's, he's totally humanoid except for his head, basically. Yep. Yeah. He's, got, he's got unusually long arms, too. Yeah. Um, and he's, uh, he just wears – he has the whole ape appearance thing going on, and he also wears a cape with a high neck collar. <laughs> yep. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he has the ability, uh, kind of similar to uh, that of the Purple Man. Yeah. To uh, control other people's behavior through pheromones, but unlike the Purple Man, as you've already pointed out, yeah. Chris, uh, the Purple Man can control people of both genders pretty much equally well, whereas um, the Mandrill's pheromone powers are much more effective uh, on women. Yes. So we find out that Mandrill is controlling Black Spectre. Mm-hmm. Who are made up almost entirely of they're women. All, they're, they're wearing padded uniforms. They, they find out that they're all women. And is that still the case of Black Spectre today? I don't know. I can't answer that one. Yeah, that's um, and he's on a <laughs> he's on a quest to you know gain revenge for for the way he and Necker were treated and abused as as children. So he's, he's a very you know hate filled character. And in issue one eleven, uh, Shanna the She Devil teams up with Daredevil. So this, as we just pointed, this is a crossover from her very brief series. And it, Mandrill has has enthralled uh, Black Widow. And he also sends the Silver Samurai, so that's an early appearance by that character. That's actually, it is his first, it's his first, first appearance. appearance. Okay, yeah. thank you. He doesn't look the way the Silver Samurai looks today that we're accustomed to him. And uh, you know they, they engage the Silver Samurai in battle. He, he does escape, and of course he becomes a major character in the X-Men uh, later on. 
And in issue 112, again, Shane, these are the moments you enjoy especially. <laughs> the mandrel seizes the White House and he puts a huge effigy of himself on the front lawn <laughs> of, of the executive man just to let everybody know that he's now in charge in the Oval Office. Um, but of course, Daredevil uh, and Shanna and the Black Widow is freed. They defeat Necra and the mandrill. And I think you think the mandrill has died, but I'm sure that doesn't last. Mm. Um, so th- that's – to me, the mandrill is just a consummate Bronze Age villain. <laughs> I mean – Without a doubt. It's uh, – love it. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on the mandrill, Kevin? You look a little, uh, you look, you look you know, a little yeah, nauseous there. It's – well, <laughs> not nauseous. It's just the fact that, you know, you, you – I know you appreciate them for the reasons you appreciate yes. them. You know, but most people, you know – you've got to take a grain of salt. I mean, that's, well, that's I understand key. that, and and you know, and you being such a Gerber fan, yes. I mean, you know, there's there's like a a select group of people that you know are just enthralled by Gerber stuff, yes. you know. And if you're not, then this is that's ludicrous. <laughs> it's totally ludicrous. <laughs> it is. Totally ludicrous. But very much to keep with the tone of Daredevil's Bronze Age. Yeah. Now, issue one thirteen, we bring in. Um, Foggy's sister, Candace, who has only been introduced some issues before this, and until then, you never knew Foggy had a sister. In no. fact, Matt didn't know he had a sister either. Right. And there's allusions to the fact that Candace is like the, quote, black sheep in the uh, Nelson clan. And issues 113 to 115, we have to remember that Steve Gerber at this time is also writing his classic run on Man-Thing. So he's going to bring Man-Thing uh, into, the, into the Daredevil book, and Candace was a journalism student at Empire State University, Peter Parker's alma mater. The fictitious Marvel Universe College, and she was investigating the disappearance of Ted Salas, who, as we all know, is the human alter ego of Man Thing before he was transformed. And what, why did Salas disappear? And also, what happened to the formula he was working on and the accompanying notes? And her life is put at risk because of this. It turns out, and Daredevil goes to investigate, uh, and he meets up with Richard Rory, who, as we all know, is Man Thing, sort of Rick Jones type sidekick. And it turns out the villain Deathstalk, who's probably the most important Daredevil villain in the Bronze Age, besides Bullseye, um, he's after Salas's notes too. Hmm. And what I want to comment on what Deathstalker's power actually is. And actually, he's a villain that appeared in another guise, I think, before he was the Deathstalker. Yeah, he called himself Exterminator. Exterminator, that's oh, right, with the okay. Men. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and that's he, right. He was, he was. Unfortunately, I don't remember his his secret identity. Yeah. Philip Sterling is the guy's name. I knew I could count on you. Yeah, but uh, he's, he's been kind of a question mark for me too. Is, yeah. I haven't read any of his appearances. I don't know what his motivations are. As far as his powers go, I think he's out of phase with uh, – Yes, the, he can phase through things and, and he has a, a, like a death touch. Yes. Like if he touches you, it's just agonizingly cold and ultimately you can die from it. And he wears you know, a huge like – almost like black Br- Stetson. Yeah, brim, brimmed hat. Yeah. And he has like a – you can't see his face. He has like his collar up. He's all in black, like a cloak, billowing cloak. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like um, the cover of the Stephen King uh, Dark Tower novels, that gunslinger. High hat. Yeah, to some degree. Collar. And uh, he's he, basically he's historically important because Frank Miller's first issue of Daredevil is the climactic battle with the Deathstalker. And many people are familiar with that cover, even if they haven't actually read where Matt's in a graveyard kind of on his knees and the Deathstalker's looming above him. Yeah, coming uh, through a tombstone. Coming through a tombstone. That's right. And that tombstone will be important in that story, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about uh, next time. Um, so Matt's investigation ultimately clears Candace of wrongdoing. The Deathstalker is foiled. The man thing kind of shambles off after he in his own way helps uh, Matt and uh, uh, Richard Rory. 
and in the next issue, 116, Candace is cleared. The owl appears again. Um, most of Daredevil's mainstay villains from the Silver Age, many of them do show up again uh, in the Bronze Age. And issue 117, Nat, uh, Natasha and, and Matt have a heart-to-heart, and Natasha says, I'm going to stay in San Francisco, and Matt decides it's time for him to return to New York City. Now, this is not the last we see the Black Widow in Daredevil. She's going to come back actually very quickly. But they've established once again that their relationship is tumultuous. It's not – this is probably not going to be for the long haul uh, essentially. These next four issues are one of my earliest Daredevil reads as a kid. I was always really obsessed with Hydra. In the four-part story, there's a new ver- – there's been many versions of Hydra, many offshoots of Hydra. This Hydra turns out to be run by Silvermane, the old uh, Magia crime lord. With his, with his, like his, I think his son is Blackwing, and there's a different, mm-hmm. you know, introduced operative. in issue number one eighteen. Thank you, sir. And they abduct Foggy because it turns out that Nick Fury was going to, for reasons I find inexplicable, was going to recruit Foggy as an agent of Shield. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this is kind of a goofy story. And and Daredevil and Black, Black, the Black Widow returns to New York, and they're going to they take on Hydra, and Foggy tries to make up with Natasha because she's still bitter about. Um, him prosecuting her over the scorpion thing, you know, a, a couple of years before that, um, and ultimately they defeat this this Silvermane version of Hydra. Essentially, um, in the next issue, Natasha now leaves kind of for good. She says, "I have to go off and find myself. I, I don't know. I can't. I, I have to see if I who I am without Matt Murdock." Essentially, so she leaves, and uh, Matt remains in New York. This issue is just a, a one shot written by Len Wein, and again, Colin is doing penciling here as well. Uh, and then the next issue, Marv Wolfen begins his run on Daredevil, issue 125. And right off the bat, he introduces Heather Glenn, who, as we mentioned, will become uh, a new love interest for Matt. Now that uh, Karen Page is gone and, and the Black Widow is gone and Moon Dragon never really went anywhere. And uh, she has also has some elements to her past that are going to be troubling, uh, her, her family history. This all introduces the character Torpedo. Uh, not the villainous Torpedo, though. It's uh, – what's his name? Something Brock. Brock Jones. Yes, thank you, sir. <laughs> and he he just – he was he murdered in the middle of something, just popped up, and then went back to what he was doing, magnificent. <laughs> and uh, he'll become a, a benevolent uh, version of the torpedo. And, of course, there's a misunderstanding between him and Daredevil temporarily because he thinks it's the villainous torpedo. Uh, so, so Heather Glenn will start to become a love interest for Matt. As Kevin mentioned, she really becomes prominent in the, in the Miller era, and uh, she doesn't meet. A good end either, no. uh, as we're going to discuss later on. Find that out, yes. Uh, issue 128, the Deathstalker comes back again. He'll appear several times in the Bronze Age, and that will culminate with uh, Miller's, fir- Miller's first rendering of the character on the t- Daredevil title. I had to mention issue 129 just because, my <laughs> God, <laughs> it's the man bull and the matador teaming up. <laughs> Ole. How do they get anything done? <laughs> and... We talked about the Matador in our last issue. I remember we, our last discussion. Remember we talked about how the Matador is such a D-list villain. Even the Scourge didn't kill him <laughs> in the 1980s during uh, that era. So apparently in this story, you think the Matador has been smited by an enraged man bull. But, of course, he, he resurfaces. Uh... Right, if you don't know anybody doesn't know from the audience, the Matador is one of Daredevil's first opponents. Is it Daredevil 2? No. No, it was uh, issue 5. Oh, Electro was number two. Okay, two was, yeah, two was Electro, yeah. and he's just—he's a matador with a cape. That's it. <laughs> and, and he commits That's crimes. All so That's all you get. Yep. <laughs> uh, it, he's just there to provide the motivation. <laughs> <laughs> he waves the cape, and the man bull yeah, does the rest. Man bull would be a little distracted by yeah. the cape. It's got to be pointed at the bank. So, 
issue one thirty, Matt, because Matt is trying to sort of rebuild his life because he's he's back in New York. Natasha's gone. He decides to open a legal clinic to because remember he's a brilliant lawyer to help people in need. Issue on one thirty one is a landmark issue in Daredevil's entire run. So uh, it's cheap, right? Not in high grade, unfortunately. Uh, it's uh, Wolfman creates uh, Bullseye. And Bob Brown is still drawing the book, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. And this is Bullseye's first appearance. And Klaus Janssen's inking yes. at this time. Yes. And yeah. um, which made uh, you know, I mean, oh, what I, a great I, I give Klaus a lot of credit. Yeah. I mean, he's you know his look his work touch he did, on the work lot. he did with Frank Miller. My God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the, but it that's what I liked about going back to these issues because when I saw. You know, I guess when I saw these first, I really didn't pay that close attention. And then after I, you know, was more prominent with Klaus's work, and then I went back and saw that he, how he was already on some of these oh, books yeah. years before and working with these all these different brilliant artists. That you know, I was like, God, that was such a cool thing. You yes, know? he's a great inker. Yes. Um, now, Bullseye, as we all know, he appears, of course, in his classic costume, not the stupid leather jacket with the t- tattoo on his forehead. God. Um, that, that's much later on. And what's and later? you know. In these early in these early appearances, you don't really have the full on creepy psychopath bullseye no. that you're going to see later on. That comes on. later on. Yeah, he's an assassin, right? And he never misses. And they establish right away he can basically make anything into a weapon, and um, you know, kill kill people with it. And it's we kind of it comes on this issue that Heather's father is a slumlord, so they're starting to establish that there's shady goings on in in his past that are gonna, probably going to affect have fallout on Matt and Heather's relationship. Murr, the next three issues, uh, it's the Jester, and uh, have you read these stories? Mm, I haven't. Okay, it's issues 135 to 137. Basically, the Jester is running riot in New York City, and he's basically trying to smear Daredevil's reputation and frame him for wrongdoing. And It's just the Jester going all out and just sheer you know, mischief and mayhem. I want you to remind me very quickly because the gesture has a very interesting little uh, backstory essentially. Okay. Uh, frustrated actor Jonathan Powers <laughs> um, believed he's uh, his generation's greatest actor and uh, determined to prove it. And uh, to make himself more hireable, he trained himself in uh, you know acrobatics, gymnastics, uh, sword play, everything except acting lessons. And, <laughs> and eventually he's reduced to the level of a, a stooge for uh, like a pie-throwing, old-fashioned, vaudeville <laughs> comedian. And uh, that's the last straw for him. He decides he's going to make the world acknowledge his genius by turning to crime and staging these grand jests. And he's been trying that ever since. Yeah. Because he's still around. Yep. Um, yeah. He's yeah. in the most recent turn. He has, yep. way, yeah. yeah he's finding some new angles uh, for yeah. his mischief, though. I mean, it, uh, Dan Slott used him in uh, Amazing Spider-Man not too long ago. That's right. Uh, he was uh, – he he'd found a way to use the internet to uh, record his uh, jests and pranks and uh, acquire celebrity that way. So in these – thank you, sir. So in these issues, he's – you know, he's, he's, I think he's using television to his advantage, if I remember correctly. And he's just, he's just trying to make Daredevil look really bad in the eyes of the public. And, you know, it's just oddball gesture antics. Ultimately, of course, he's defeated. Um, issue 138 is actually a crossover with Ghost Rider number 20 because Ghost Rider has been on the scene now. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think this is the last appearance of Karen Page it is. in Daredevil. It is. Um, until Born Again. Until Born Again. Right? Yeah. Yep. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So, here, the title of it is Where Is Karen Page? Yeah, yeah. So no, another one of those Marv Wolfman question yeah. titles, just like Who Is Donna Troy, which yeah. he'd write a bunch of years later. So well put, sir. So uh, there's a team up there, and Karen is in danger. I, frankly, I, if you're honest, I forgot which villain is involved in the story. And um, you know, she everything works out, but she remains in California, and she continues her 
her acting career. So, and you who know. drew this issue? I don't remember. John Byrne. Yep, that's right. Oh, Thank yeah. you, sir. Issue one thirty eight or the Ghost Rider issue? No, no the one thirty eight. One thirty eight. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, sir. So that's some of his earliest work at yeah, Marvel. It is. I think his first Marvel work was a giant sized Dracula, if I remember correctly. And he did Charlton before that. Yeah, he um, Charlton, yeah. Well done. But yeah, we won't see Karen again until mid 1980s. Yeah. So, and then, of course, she's going to be around for a while after that. Uh, 141, Bullseye shows up again. I remember this issue particularly because doesn't he like tie Daredevil to like a big crossbow? And he's like going to shoot him like in a mountain or something like that. I mean, it's it's almost like this goofy like Superman moment, like yeah. you know, with some wacky uh, you know huge death trap. It sounds like something Captain Boomerang would yeah. do. Yeah, it's, it's literally something Captain Boomerang yeah. did to the Flash, tied into a giant boomerang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a Dick Sprang Batman. Thing exactly. Too. So you know, it, Bullseye has the really cool power, but he's not. Miller is who makes Bullseye into the villain that yeah. we're familiar with yeah. today. The real psychopath. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Issue 143 is Wolfman's final issue on Daredevil. So we can we, – you know, he left us bullseye. Um, and, and also Bob Brown's again. Tragically, he'll die later that year uh, after a struggle with leukemia. Uh, now, you mentioned this in our, in our intro, Kevin. Uh, issue 146 is a, a, a Gil Kane drawn – because remember, Kane did covers throughout the 70s. Mm-hmm. This is the first time he's doing Daredevil interiors. And I remember it's Bulls. I remember the cover where Bullseye's like using cameras, like he's on a television monitor. Yeah, and they... Daredevil's like – Lurched over in pain or something. It like was that. his plot to you know, same type of thing that you know he fought him in, and it was being it was in like a television studio, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously it was being recorded and televised for the national broadcasts, yeah. you know. And it was a two issue story, right? Yeah, I believe, yes, and and, and I remember Bullseye was always fixed it on the fact that he couldn't beat Daredevil, yeah. and that that that's a recurring motif with that character, uh, essentially. We find an issue 147 that Heather's father, the reason why he's been acting so seedily is because he's been under the control of the Purple Man. Kilgore has been manipulating him into doing wrongdoing. This is also Gil Kane. And actually Jim Shooter scripting this issue. I'm not sure if he's editor-in-chief yet at this point. No, he's not. He, he will be soon, though. He will. Like yeah, he is so. by the – 79, I, I'm sure I, – I don't know if it's before 79, but in 79 he was. Definitely, yeah. He was definitely the editor-in-chief. Issue 150 is the first – I'm sorry, Mer. Go ahead. A sad word about issue number 147. Please. It was the last monthly issue of Daredevil. Well done, sir. I missed that. It was at that point that Daredevil was given the dreaded uh, demotion to the bi-monthly schedule. And it uh, remained at that schedule for the rest of the 70s, I believe. And again, as Kevin mentioned, once Miller really takes full creative control of the book after McKenzie is unceremoniously axed, Mm -hmm. um, the the writer Roger McKenzie, that's when the book starts to – really build and become a phenomenon yeah. um issue 150 is the first appearance of the paladin yes sort of the roguish mercenary what's what's his basic uh just the paladin and we were he's a roguish mercenary yeah. Yeah, i mean that's, yeah. he's yeah. fond yeah. of yeah. the color purple power right yeah he I've is no, fond of the color purple yeah he yes. has no superpowers yeah. he yeah, carries yeah, he no firearms and uh he's he's got the devil may care attitude going yeah. on and uh, he's he's kind of like a purple-wearing Han Solo kind yeah, of thing. He's not a smuggler, but he is yeah. a mercenary. And he's never been given a backstory as far as I know. I don't think his real name's ever even been revealed. Huh. I remember in the um, Avengers, classic Avengers stories, the Masters of Evil take over the mansion. He actually helps out the Wasp. There's, I think it's like a flirtation between them. Uh, in this issue, Maxwell Glenn kills himself because he's been totally framed by the Purple Man. His whole life is ruined. His company, everything's been destroyed. And uh, I, I remember this, these issues as a kid, just a quick little nostalgic one we all have when it comes to comics. 
I was in fifth grade, and one of my friends at the time, he was pretty, his family was fairly well off. He lived in a pretty big house, and they had like this huge playroom. And you would walk in on like an elevated stairwell, and the room was below you. The entire floor was just covered with comic books. <laughs> just no, no rhyme or reason. I remember I, and you, like you were walking through them, basically, <laughs> and toys and whatnot. And I remember I picked up Daredevil 151. Hmm. It's probably one of the first Daredevil comics I ever actually saw because I was 10 or 11 years old. And it's Heather Glenn yelling at Matt. His mask is off. Yeah, he's in the Daredevil costume, but he has his mask off. And, and, and she's blaming him for her father's death because what happens is he goes to her apartment. His cowl is off, and she walks in, and she, she finds out about her father having killed himself. And you know that begins the real tumultuous up and down of their, of their relationship, which, which will not end well ultimately. Uh, issue 152 with Roger McKenzie. Now, Roger McKenzie, he did a lot of uh, writing in horror comics, yeah. uh, you know, eerie, creepy, uh, that type of that type of fare. And he begins scripting, and he's going to take a more a, kind of a darker tone with Daredevil. He does, and yeah. it's and it's you know, I always said you know it's you know everybody associates Frank Miller with 158, and don't get me wrong, it's a landmark thing. Yeah, but McKenzie was writing. But McKenzie was writing it, and yeah. and McKenzie wrote it up until 168. Yep. So I mean, Miller was only the artist for you know 11 issues, yeah. you know, before he took over as total creator of the series, and that, so a lot of the stuff that you know, and that's what I like. That's why I remembered. You know, with, with well, that G- classic Hulk issue, issue you've mentioned, uh, yeah. he wrote that. Yeah, and and with Gene Colan coming back on the book, yeah, and Roger McKenzie writing it. That's when I, you know, when I grabbed those issues because I saw him fighting Cobra Hyde on the cover, and I picked that up, and I was I was like, wow, this is good. I like yeah. this, you know. And it really kind of, that's what got me kind of back into it. And again. you're correct, because Colan returns, and he's penciling now once again. Yeah. Um, and th- this these whole first issues are about dealing with the fallout of Glenn's death and the Purple Man, right? And Daredevil's taking on. Various villains who the Purple Man has employed, and in issue 154, to save Heather, I think he's fighting like throngs of people controlled by the Purple Man, essentially. I don't remember if the Purple Man seemingly dies in that issue or not. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. He's defeated. Yeah. Um, he seemingly died a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Seems to me his most definitive death was in like a Marvel graphic novel at some point. Uh, the, what he, Dr. Doom, I think, captured him and hooked him up to some kind of amplifi- amplifier. Uh, Trying to use wow. his uh, I don't remember that wow. his pheromone based mind control powers. Yeah. What which was it? Emperor was Doom. Emperor Doom. That could be it. That could be it. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Murd is always pinch hitting. Yeah. That death didn't stick either. Of no. Them. <laughs> <laughs> well, issue one fifty five. This is a Daredevil supporting character that has appeared a lot, which is Becky, the secretary. I mm-hmm. forgot her last name. She's in the wheelchair. Yes. Um, she was a, throughout the eighties, and she still pops up. She's a lawyer now herself, actually. And she's hired as the secretary for Becky Matt's. Blake. That I think that's, that's correct. That's what it says here. Then that's correct. Oh, yeah, well then. And she's <laughs> she becomes Matt's – and later she'll work for both Matt and Foggy. And Foggy, yes. Um, remember, Matt is not with Foggy right now. I was wondering. Yeah, that Foggy. I should have. Foggy is still trying to pursue like his political career as a DA. Even even temporarily was going to run for governor at one right, point. That right. didn't work out. So I mean, they're still obviously close, but they're not partners at this point. Right. That'll of course return later on. Uh, and the last two issues we're going to talk about here, which is the kind of the lead up to issue 158, which we'll pick up with in our next installment of this series on Daredevil. Um, Deathstalker has returned. He's, he's making his final play here to really like beat Daredevil. And Matt ends up in a coma. And I remember the colon cover of issue 156 where he's battling 
himself in the yellow, black, and yeah. red costume in a boxing ring. Boxing ring, yep. And so he's having in, – in his mind, he's having this, this struggle with himself while he's in his coma. And Black Widow brings in the Avengers to try to protect him and help him against Deathstalker. Uh, great colon artwork. Oh, yeah. And no one drew the Black Widow like colon. And this is going to culminate in issue 158, which we'll pick up where Miller will t- become the penciler. Uh, we'll also talk about next time about his first drawing of Daredevil in Spectacular Spider-Man with yeah. the uh, – who's the dopey villain with the drape on his head? And the oh, goggles. you're thinking of the Masked Marauder. The Masked Marauder, Marauder, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, – that in a nutshell, Pants, is Daredevil in the Bronze Age. Closing comments, gentlemen. Sounds quirky. Quirky. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I can think of is quirky. Sum it up in one word. But, I mean, there's just – you know, there's groundwork laid for things to happen in oh, the future. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, for I don't know the history of the character. I don't know if it was groundwork. It's it's good that people came back and remind that. <laughs> well, stuff. yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think they forethought. No what one's fully happened. formed as a character when they yeah. first appear, like you know, Bullseye, right. for instance. You know, but his first appearance is still very important. Oh yeah, yeah, well, sure. You know, and 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 again, it just is part of the thing of the rotating writing. You know, staff is that yeah. you know, it's just. It, it again, like you say, it's not like this was like a three-year run, you know, of this guy and whatever right. that, that that they had this long-term thing to yeah. to write out and have you know build these plot lines and stuff. You know, they just had their short window of time and try to do what they could do with the character, and you know, but they, they the, had Manbull. But Manbull. a lot of these things, there's there's a couple of things that you know are in this run that are very prominent and that that curtail into some really significant stuff. That Absolutely. And I would say to anybody like Pants who has all these issues to, to be read, mm-hmm. don't pay a lot for them. Oh, no. But, <laughs> but they're, they're worth reading. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. just, just listen to what we've been describing. Come on. How can your interest not be piqued by some of these, these wacky uh, fun? Oh, yeah. And plus the Daredevil Black Widow stuff is great. That's yeah. that's really that's, that's really fun. That's like the foundation of the, yeah. of this of this run, you yeah. know, that, that Absolutely. Cuz she's there at, at the end consistent. when she's yeah. helping him yeah. with with the Death Stalker. So Do we have anything from the notepad over there, sir? Oh yes, I do have some additional Please, sir. Go Please. right ahead. All right. So uh, talking of strange villains, um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to throw out Copperhead here. Oh, that's right, two parter. Wow. Yep, 124 right. and 125. <laughs> right off the top of it, you, you don't even need an. <laughs> I am impressed by your memory for <laughs> yes. issue numbers, Kevin. I'm, I'm trying to utilize it while it's still there. Please <laughs> <laughs> do, because I, I certainly never had it to begin with. I, I can never remember numbers, but yeah, he was uh, created by Wolfman and Ween, and he was kind of like a pulp vigilante pastiche. He looked cool. I mean, to me, yeah. as a, as a, a trench coat and a fedora, trench right? coat yeah. and fedora, and he had that a glimmering mask. skin. Yeah, that that face, and then when he killed somebody, he would put the pennies in their eyes. That's right. And I was like, it was so. I mean, I it, and again with the art that because uh, you know Kane was doing the covers and stuff, and and uh, and that's what I remember him by. And he, 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 to me, it's so simple. To yeah. me, it really stood out. I was like, wow, this is really cool. I mean, I really would have liked to have seen something happen with that character. Wade. <laughs> <laughs> it's not impossible. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, do you remember the Daredevil Spider-Man uh, miniseries? Uh, I think it was Paul Jenkins and uh, Phil Winslade. Yes. 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 Yeah, they, they brought back a version of Copperhead for oh, that. they did. Okay. Right. And also a version of Stiltman. Stiltman, yeah. A very yep. mean yep. version of Stiltman. All right. So, but yeah, he struck a chord with somebody because they brought they, – they introduced a new Copperhead somewhere in between – Know those two points. Uh, let's see. Oh. Now we're all familiar with the infamous Captain America number three nineteen. Uh, the uh, issue where Scourge, Scourge yes, yeah. 
kills off 17 supervillains in the bar with no name. Ah, uh, here we go. Two of those villains appeared in uh, Daredevil comics mm-hmm. of the 70s. All right, the first was introduced during that uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. Hydra yeah. story that you mentioned, which was written by Tony Isabella. That's right, Isabella wrote those. Very yes. brief, uh, like five-issue yeah. stint on the yeah, title. Yeah. Uh, El Jaguar. That's right. <laughs> he, was a, he was a Hydra operative. Yes. Right, exactly. Um, and then, oh, I, I can't believe you didn't put, include this in your notes, Chris. Uh, issue number 133 it was Daredevil teaming up with Yuri Geller. Oh, yes. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> yes, uh, to, to take down Mind Wave and his fearsome <laughs> think tank. And they did the whole spoon bending thing and the the issue. My arms were raised in supplication. (laughs) (laughs) That character appeared in that issue, and then he showed up at the bar with no name to die. (laughs) He must have been a Gerber creation, I'm Uh, guessing. Well, actually, Wolfman. I was Wolfman. I apologize. Wolfman wasn't really trying too hard there. He was (laughs) didn't want to. I don't know, sully the reputation of any existing Marvel villain by having him involved with Yuri Geller, I think. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, then Rick Remender actually brought him back then. Great. Just in the last few years. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, yeah, so anyway, um, well, what else did I have? Oh, uh, somewhat overshadowed by the first appearance of Bullseye in number 131, uh, a character called Detective Burt Rose. Uh, from my, my sources tell me that uh, he <laughs> your sources he was a nameless yeah comicbookdb.com <laughs> <laughs> that source he first reveal your sources he first appeared in Daredevil number one apparently that's right a nameless yep. cop that's and then right here he just, got a they, name they brought him back and uh, kind of made him into like Daredevil's version of Harvey Bullock because he was a NYPD officer who did not care much for Daredevil mm. and so he hung around for maybe a year. Uh, to make Daredevil's life a little harder. Um, and uh, I think – oh, yeah. An important supporting character first appeared in number 153 in uh, 1978, Ben Urich. Oh, that's oh, right. Wow. Oh, Murd. Shameful. Gosh, Shame on yeah, me. Yeah, holy cow. Shame on me. Oh, my goodness. What issue number was that? It was number 153. Oh, man. So Shame just, on me. He just slipped in there by maybe six months. It was a part of our uh, – So Mackenzie created Ben Urich. Range. Yep. Yeah. And of course, as many listeners probably know, when we get to the 80s, Yurik becomes a huge supporting oh my God. character in Daredevil. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, huge. That's... Probably, probably the most important besides Foggy. That's why. Supporting character. And I know, know him well from the Bendis run yeah. in Daredevil. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I. You know, we'll talk about it more when we do the next spotlight. Yeah. But I mean, I really, you know, f- feel that Mackenzie deserves to get the, the credit that. I feel so oh, rightfully so. He I mean, deserves at least some of the credit, my God. And But. Yeah. but because of the significance of Frank Miller and yeah. his impact on the character, he gets overshadowed. He gets overshadowed because yeah. everybody. I mean, I'm I'm sure a lot of people think, oh, Frank Miller started Daredevil 158. That was right. you know, they don't even remember that Mackenzie yeah. was on the book. They don't even you know bother to even probably even you know acknowledge it because it's just so associated you know yep. with Frank's yep. uh, impact on the character. So. But Mackenzie started this stuff, and that's why I said the tone of the book changed for the best. I agree. For the better, um, when Mackenzie came on the book, I really enjoyed when he took over and started to do this stuff. And you can see, obviously, with Ben Yurk and all these other things that will just, you know, create so much opportunity oh. for future stories that, that they utilize what he set out and started yeah. to do. 
Murd, thank you. That was outstanding, sir. I wasn't sure what issue it was. Yeah, I actually wasn't 100% sure, and I didn't even think that it was significant. But, yeah, 153. Good job. A little surprised to learn that he, his first appearance was this early on. Yeah. I'll have to go check that out. I'll have to go home and check I that out. I remember reading that, but I just I'd forgotten about it. I didn't include the notes. Murd, thank you so much, my friend. This is why I'm here. I'm just here to pick up the scraps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you gentlemanly oh you're so much more than that. Come on. Right, Don't I, hide your... Something up under a bushel. What's that phrase? Uh, don't hide your light under a bushel. Thank you. Any Thank that, that, that too. Not. Any other notes to <laughs> worthy of mention, sir? Two more bits and pieces. Sure. Um, as far as annuals go, there was really only one That's in right. the 70s that was in original content. Summer reprints, yes, correct. Right. Yep. So, so number four number in 76. That was Daredevil teaming up with Black Panther and Namor. And uh, that was written by Chris Claremont and, Mar- and Marv Wolfman. Uh, wow. Art by George Tuska. And that was the last Daredevil annual we got until Atlantis attacks. Yeah. Oh my God! The they did like a giant size, and you know, I mean, it's things like that. But yeah. The, yeah. the annual itself did not. That's why when you were saying about thirteen annuals, I was like, okay. Well, sometimes when they'd say gi- the giant size or king size, that yeah. was the annual. Ah, it was right, called right, king right, size right, special right. or something yeah. like that. And they were so, mainly reprints. Yes. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And last thing I got here. Um, Oh, you said we're going to talk about the spectacular Spider-Man story next time? Yes. yes okay. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, Daredevil did make one appearance outside of his own title I thought was worth mentioning here. Uh, the famous Incredible Hulk story. Um, I don't think it was officially called The Trial of the Hulk, but that's what it was. Right. Oh, it was he's the lawyer. One, right. He's, he's Bruce Banner. 152. 152. Yeah. I, I can see Matt Murdock on the cover in the courtroom where the Hulk's going berserk, basically. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I think the second issue of that, wasn't that the cover? Like It was just like the Hulk in like standing in this pose yes, like I can fr- picture that cover you know yeah. and and that cuz I I bought that issue not obviously understanding that it had Murdoch in it mm. or something but it was one of those Hulk issues that caught my eye and I mm. picked it up and oddly enough it had Matt Murdoch in it that whole trial <laughs> thing yeah and later on, when Matt Murdock made his first TV appearance, <laughs> it was in oh, the trial wow. of the Hulk. Oh my goodness. When we get to the 80s, we'll talk about that one. Yeah. 1989. The right. Black body stocking. Uh, Pants, right. I think we've shot our bolt. Wow, again, very educational, very informative. It's infotainment. And this time a little bit quirkier. <laughs> yeah, a little quirkier. And again, like I said, I have many of these issues, and I just, with everything else, time, I just want to I want to read everything. I want to take off. I want to put Paul's on the world and just sit in a corner and read for like oh. months. What are we end. anticipating for the next one then? I'm, I thought we'd do 158 until. Because the 80s, is that's a lengthy yes, it period. Is. That's, that's why I was curious. I mean, we may, we may just want to do. Just the Miller stuff. Well, how long uh, was Miller on the book? Well, okay. 190-ish, I think. He goes from 158 as penciler, and as Kevin mentioned, he eventually becomes the, the, the full creator right, right. with Klaus Jansen. And he's on it to like 190. 191. 191. This is his last issue. You could do Spider on Daredevil in the Miller age. Yeah, if you feel and, then, and, so then, and then he comes back. In 217. Yeah, and the 219s for Born Again. Hmm. Yeah, and there so was some there's stories of, in between. Yeah, he did one. He did one. It was like two, is it two, two seventeen or two nineteen. He did like a one issue story, and then obviously and he got back Kelly's on penciling well, at that point. We'll get then, back to you, but we, then, yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll and, figure it out. It'll yeah. be in all the papers. But yeah, <laughs> so I was just you know curious to see how we're going to segregate the remaining. We'll confer. Okay. Yeah. And we won't rush it because there's a lot of good stuff in oh, there. Yeah, that, that's, oh, my that's that's I gotta, a, yeah. I got to dig out the um, – That's a detailed discussion. That, for I that. mean, honestly, I mean, the, the, the 158 to 191, that's – I mean, that, that is, could be an episode That could be an episode. Yeah. That may yeah. just be one in itself. Yeah. We'll decide about that yeah. later. And again, we'll let you know. 
All right. If, if that's it, no one else has anything else nope. to say? Again, very enjoyable. Thank you very much. And uh, Shane, wrap it up for us. This episode uh, was brought to you by InStockTrades.com. Go to their website for anything uh, Daredevil trade paperback or hardback related, especially the most recent runs are, are readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the website says, if it's on the website, it's in stock. Visit us at ComicGeekSpeak.com to send us an email. The address is ComicGeekSpeak at gmail.com. To leave us a voicemail, the number is 267-702-6642. Stop by The Comic Forums and comment on this episode. Tell us about your Daredevil experiences in the Bronze Age. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We would like to thank everyone who contributes to this show. Kevin, thank you for stopping by. Thanks for Um, having me, always. uh, (laughs) Come come on all the Daredevil episodes. (laughs) I Um, plan to. And, as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time.